to Harvest Australia podcast. We trust you will be blessed by this message from Senior Leader Marty Manuel. I want to share today... um, what did I call it? <laughs> On a healthy spirit. Um, and I want to, and, and we'll just see where the Lord leads us in the end, just to minister into that, uh, because I think that he's just on that with a fresh encouragement for some of us today. Um, but yeah, just let me pray before, before we get into it. Lord, we thank you that you're here present with us. Lord, we ask that you would speak clearly into our hearts today. Lord, I pray that you would release greater things into our hearts. You would bring encouragement, refreshing, strengthening in your word. And Lord, we pray that we would go from this place with a fresh life and fresh truth straight from you, Lord Jesus. We give you all the honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So, a healthy spirit, I've touched on this topic a few times before because, you know, it's a big thing for pastors keeping the health of, of you know, a big family and, and even in our own lives and keeping things healthy, keeping things fresh, um, keeping, um, pursuing the things that God has for us, not acting out of, you know, any wrong heart or wrong agenda or anything like that. But it's, it's the posture of believers to continually be reviewing the soil of our heart to make sure we're walking in a healthy way. And I want to address three postures of our heart uh, that I believe we've got to keep in view all the time. And if we do this, we will always keep a right spirit before the Lord and before man. And um, the three areas or the three postures or directions, if you like, are obviously there's a wrong spirit. We can carry a wrong spirit. And then we can carry a broken spirit or we can carry a right spirit. One of the songs we sang was, you know, about, um, you know, I'm breaking, my spirit's breaking and that sort of stuff. And I used to look at things like that and even read things like that. And I think, well, maybe, you know, that's not a godly enough view of Christianity if, you, if we're actually a broken, broken spirit. Um, but, you know, then you go through some stuff and you realize actually most of us in life actually go through seasons where there's a, sp- there's a brokenness on us and where God uses that to strengthen us and bring forth his plans. But I want to start in the area of a wrong spirit. I want to just talk about this for a moment because I think that as the body of Christ, when we talk about some of these areas, it's helpful, and it may just be for one or two, to recognize so that we can think in our own lives mainly, and we can think, I want to keep a right posture. I want to keep a right spirit. Uh, Because it can be easy just to sometimes get a slightly off agenda or a selfish agenda or a a wrong spirit just creeping into various ways we treat each other or even the way we look at the Lord or or the way we're acting. And so I want to start in, uh, I don't think I've, well, maybe I have read from Leviticus before, but let's turn to Leviticus chapter 10. Leviticus chapter 10 and... um, Verse 1, we'll start from Leviticus chapter 10, verse 1. And it says, uh, actually, I'll just explain. Uh, this is basically where um, 
uh, Moses is giving and getting a lot of instructions on sacrifices, so giving right sacrifices to the Lord. So we're in verse in chapter nine. We're reading all about how to slaughter, how to give sacrifices, and then in 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 verse one of chapter ten, it says, "Now Nadab and Abihu." The sons of Aaron took their respective fire pans and after putting fire on in them, placed incense on it and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them to do. And fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them and they died before the Lord. I want to just explain this for a moment. Um, other passages call it, you know, prohibited fire or this this version, uh, NASB, says strange fire. Um, the reason that is is because the Lord had clearly commanded them not to do this, placing incense on the fire. But the sons of Aaron actually decided to do it in their own strength, their own ideas to create something that maybe no one else was doing. And what we can see here is the, the acting out of a wrong spirit. They weren't commanded to do this. In fact, um, it goes on and, and, say, and then Moses says to Aaron, It is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I will be treated as holy. And before all people, I will be honored. And so it's something the Lord explicitly did not tell them to do. But out of their own agenda, they decided to offer up worship, which was actually uh, humanistic worship, if you like. And it twisted the spirit of worship that God was asking them to create and that was a holy sacrifice unto him. And it became a human sacrifice, if you like. Man's idea of worship. And so we can actually see here that quite easily. Now, some of us would say, well, it's such a simple thing. It, he took incense and put it on the coals. It's a really simple act. It even sounds nice. We use a lot of, you know, essential oils and things like that. That's essentially what it would have been. It's just, you know, putting some oil on it. And it probably smelt really nice. But the Lord wanted holiness. He wanted a holy sacrifice and he wanted obedience. And so sometimes in our lives, we just need to take stock of even the small things in our lives and make sure we haven't put our agenda on top of the Lord's and slightly contorted it to fit us rather than fit him. Um, rabbit trail, won't go there. Um, Yeah, they're opening up everywhere. It's like portals this morning. <laughs> Rabbit trails just, you know, all over the place. But I want to I keep on track because I, I actually think uh, there's an encouragement for us in a lot of this. Um, but we have to pursue and continually posture ourselves to keep a clean and pure worship before the Lord. To keep our hearts clean and pure before the Lord. And you'll, you'll know what it's like when, when you're around people and, and they want to put something on you. They want to put something on you. Or maybe they act in a way where you feel a heaviness after being around them. Normally, that's because there's a wrong spirit in the atmosphere. It's not that the person's a demon or anything like that. And we don't curse them. We don't even have to talk to them or anything like that. But sometimes in, our, in the discernment in my heart, we just go, hmm, something's not quite right. So I'm just going to either remove myself 
or I'm going to you know, speak a positive word over the atmosphere right now or something like that. But you'll just know when, when you're in different realms and a- atmospheres and a, a different groups of people that we have to just be on guard and make sure that we don't succumb to any wrong spirit as in any wrong agenda or atmosphere. And so this, this I find, is actually an effort. It's an effort. It's easier sometimes to offer strange fire. It's easier sometimes to do it our way. That's what I mean by that. It's easier sometimes to get God to do what we want him to do through our methods rather than waiting for his, his methods. Because we have this urge, so we want something to happen, so we offer strange fire. We actually step out and we put incense on the coals, which he did not tell us to do. Why? Because we're impatient and we want something to happen. And, and, and it may be godly, it may be really right, but ultimately it's an act of offering up strange fire. Now I want to just um, explain something here for a moment. This term strange fire right in, in the last five years is, has been a big deal in America. Because uh, a theologian by the name of John MacArthur, who a lot of you would have heard of, he's done a lot of commentaries through NIV and through different versions of the Bible, a fantastic Bible knowledge, an incredible man of God. He has conferences called Strange Fire, and he speaks out about charismatics being the ones who carry the strange fire. Can you believe that? Amazing man of God. He knows the word of God back to front, but he's a cessationalist. He does not believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So anyone who, who acts in that way and speaks in tongues or, uh, you know, believes in the Holy Spirit healing and pour outpouring and manifestations of God, basically he calls that strange fire, offering up strange fire. Now, praise God for charismatic theologians as well, like R.T. Kendall, who then writes a book called Holy Fire, and we have it in our bookshop. It's a fantastic book. He wrote that book to explain for us charismatics who maybe don't know our Bible as well as some of the evangelical conservatives in America. And so he wrote that book in explanation of actually that's not what this is talking about. And I think most of us can see that. It wasn't talking about some charismatic or supernatural thing being offered up in the wrong way. That's a, that's a real elastic way of interpreting the Bible. Very interesting from a scholar, right? It's, it's where we've got to really search out the scriptures for ourselves. But what we can see here is that it was nothing to do with Holy Spirit or gifts of the Spirit being offered in a wrong way. It was clearly man's agenda wanting to achieve something for God, but doing it in an impure, unholy, humanistic way. And God doesn't like that. He doesn't like it. He wants us to do it His way. And sometimes He will use brokenness to get us there. I'm not saying all the time he will or that he's punishing us or anything like that. But sometimes he will actually use that as a season when we're low or when we're in the valley or maybe when we're even confused and asking questions that we weren't asking when we're in this victorious land that we'll actually go to him in that secret place and say, Lord, I'm broken. I don't know what to do. And finally, he says, I've got you. I've got your ear. I've got your ear. You're finally seeking me out, searching me out, wanting to know what I'm actually wanting from you. But we can see here that it's really dangerous to act in a way of offering up strange fire. And if we look at that and make that really practical for our lives today, that's basically doing things that he hasn't called us to do, trying to get his result. 
And, and if, if he's not, it, I mean, these days he doesn't generally call down fire upon us, praise God. We'd all be dead, I reckon. You know, we'd need more than nine lives to handle the repercussions of acting out of a wrong spirit or, or reacting wrongly in a situation or trying to get God to do something when he's just not doing it. Well, I'm going to put a little bit of oil on this situation and see what happens. And it's so easy to do, but it's strange fire. It's not legal fire. And so just to wrap up that, that summary of what I gave about strange fire with, with what John MacArthur, John MacArthur actually speaks about, and I bless him because, you know, I've got a lot, a lot of blessing from his commentaries and stuff like that, but, but at the end of the day, he's completely wrong. He's completely wrong. He, he's completely missed it. Isn't it fascinating that someone can study the Scriptures for 30 years and totally miss it, totally miss it? Why? Because he's completely scared of charismatic gifts. He's completely freaked out by the fact that, that they're uncontrollable. Karen and I had, had a, we, we're, we're strange, okay? We are strange. I put on Facebook some interesting things that I purchased yesterday. And if you're not on Facebook, that's good. <laughs> Stay there. But it was, it was we, we bought chicken feet and chicken livers. And just feet, just plain old feet, you know, nothing fancy. They look horrible. And you can talk to Karen after about why on earth would we do that. But there's a whole health reason for that. Um, you can comb your hair with them, you know. <laughs> anyway, so these things are weird. Why would you eat chicken feet? Why would you eat chicken feet? There's so much goodness in chicken feet. And, uh, you know, I'm serious. I'm serious. There really is. They're so healing. They're incredible. And, and there's a whole lot of things that in the West we call weird, but actually God has put in them phenomenal nutrients that we need. This is what happens with the sanitized Western church. The sanitized Western church doesn't like the chicken feet, doesn't like the liver, doesn't like the beak and the head of the chicken and all these good stuff with phenomenal nutrients. In, I'm not at the beak and head stage, by the way. I'm not there. So much, so much goodness. In fact, uh, Inna, uh, up in Alice Springs, um, who's, you know, just a great leader in the Aboriginal communities up there that Ryan and the team went and saw, she Facebooked me within a minute saying, hey, we've done that all our lives. You know, we have bush turkey. We eat the whole thing, goanna and roo tail and roo feet and whatever else, I don't know. But, you know, isn't it interesting that God inherently put in us the knowledge that actually all this incredible nutrients and health and wholeness is in, is in this stuff. And, but we in the West, we just want controllable, safe, white chicken meat. And that's what we get in church. If you're vegan, sorry, yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Beans, whatever. But isn't it interesting? This is, this is what we actually produce in church. So that the moment someone comes in and says, hey, you actually wouldn't believe, but for thousands of years, Chinese have eaten chicken feet and they know it's good for you. So someone comes into the church and says, hey, signs and wonders. Yes, they're a little bit crazy sometimes, but they're so good for you. They're so good for you. So as encounters with God and his presence and the charismatic gifts of the spirit. And so 
when, when someone says this, we've we just got to know where we stand on this stuff because it can be very convincing, very convincing. And so I'll, I'll leave that there because, you know, it's a, I, I enjoy refuting it, but you can get the book Holy Fire and R.T. Kendall does it better than me. Um, I found it interesting when we had the business and we had hundreds of employees to see that um, there was always a period of about six months where someone would come into the company and they worked for six months. Three months in, I'd just be like, wow, they're, they're going phenomenal. They're going phenomenal. Amazing. And after a while, myself and the executive team, we, we always just reminded each other, hey, he's only been here six months. He's only been here six months. Let's see what he's like in a year. See, see what they're like in, you know, in a year and a half. And... Um, Anyway, and the reason we used to say that is because it was interesting that you can fake having a good, a positive attitude for a certain amount of time. But soon enough, if we have a wrong spirit, it begins to come out. And after about six months or a year, I think, in a workplace, you, you can tell. And you might even be able to tell for yourself. It might be a good little self-analysis. How do I go in a work environment after a year? When, when the honeymoon's over... And it's just down to hard work. It's down to faithfulness now. It's down to being a good employee or a good studier or a good citizen of the community or whatever realm of life it might be. How do I go in that atmosphere? Uh, am I then after six months thinking I should be seen in a different light, I should be promoted or whatever else? But it's a very, very good litmus test for our spirit to see how do I, how do I posture myself in an environment of people where maybe there's a chain of command that I've got to listen to or maybe there's a, a forum of respect and honour that I've got to adhere to. And if you don't adhere to that repeatedly after six months or a year, then you probably are carrying a wrong spirit. I'm sorry. It's, it's a really good test because we're actually built to, to be a body, to honour the hand, honour the foot, honour the eye and the mouth and actually know how we operate together and not be judging one another for what we do and don't do but actually carry a right spirit reviewing ourselves and keeping that always in the forefront. How am I doing in my posture? How am I doing? And so I've, I've seen it over the years so many times, so many times and I want to give you a, um, a term that we, we used in business and, um, and I taught it to Karen. She liked it, so I, I think you'll like it. I don't think I've ever used this before, but we used this term and it's called the recency effect. And it, it comes over a person when they know a um, review is coming up, a performance review, or they know that there's, there's something going on in the environment where you know, there's, there's, you know, maybe there's a, an audit coming, okay? That, that's when this, this amazing thing called the recency effect falls upon a person and all of a sudden they just start performing incredibly. They haven't done it for a year, but they, it's just like this discernment comes over them where they know, okay, the spotlight's coming and you haven't even told them. You haven't, you haven't told them the review's coming up. You haven't told them there's a confrontation, but it's just this ph human phenomena. And watch out for it. Watch out for it because it's a person with a wrong spirit. Because if they can't do it when you're not watching them, then actually they're not doing it at all. If they only want to do it when they know something's coming up, fine, oh, oh no, here's the review, here's something coming up, oh, oh no, they're looking now, then no, that's not a healthy spirit. So we as believers, when we are connected to Jesus, it won't matter whether someone's watching us or not. Do you like the recency effect, by the way? 
I give you permission to use that phrase whenever you like. Some of these things are weird. I learned them in business from all of the secular guys, but they have so many parallels in the kingdom. So many uses in the kingdom, in church life, in family life, and, and broader, because sometimes they help us filter what we're feeling. Because you might say, well, you know, but I wasn't, I, I was feeling really offended. I was feeling like I was, you know, being, being watched or all this sort of stuff. Well, well, sometimes that's not a bad thing. And that's why our feelings don't rule us. Truth rules us. And when we operate in truth, we can even, we can even discern when our feelings are wrong. And so in this situation here, for example, Nadab and Abihu, I don't know how you're meant to say that, but that's my version of that. You can make up your own version. They were willing to test the Lord with worship. They were willing to step out there and test him and chance their arms, so to speak, and say, well, I don't, I don't think it'll matter if I add my own strange fire, my own agenda to this situation. It does matter. Do you know what? The Lord is so graceful today. He doesn't hit us with lightning bolts and fire, but it still affects our lives. It still affects the outcomes of our lives. We just don't realize it so much because it's not the big boom and, and we're gone, vaporized. What it is is just a little quenching. Just a little quenching. Okay, little quenching. His voice gets quieter. His voice gets more distant. His presence just moves away a little bit. The dove just flies off our shoulder, you know, as Leif Hetland loves to say. Just, just that little bit of removal from his presence. And, and, and each time, just that little bit of distance or that little bit of uh, even offense or disappointment or whatever might be building up in our lives, we don't notice it because it's not the big wham-bam. But if we begin to look and see the prosperity of our lives is diminishing each time we offer up strange fire, each time we act in a wrong spirit with people, with, with in any environment we're in in life, when we act with the wrong agenda, with a wrong spirit, we begin to depromote ourselves, if that be possible. Depromote ourselves. Put a ceiling over ourselves. It's not the big, the big death sentence, but it's just a quenching. It's a smothering of our influence, a smothering of the awareness and uh, uh, the spread that God can use us. So the next one I want to go to is, is a broken spirit. And this, this is a massive topic. I'm not going to be able to cover it today. Um, but I just want to touch on this briefly because I, I think it's really um, important for us to understand a little bit about this. Psalm 51.17 says, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. Isn't that interesting? My sacrifice is a broken spirit. David crying out, obviously, in, in all sorts of pain and um, contrition. And then he says, A broken and contrite heart, you, O God, will not despise. And so in our disappointments, in our hurts, in our maybe depression, or whatever that weightiness of brokenness is, he promises us he won't despise us. Actually, it's saying here that this was his sacrifice. This was his sacrifice to the Lord. Now, we don't have to purposely break our spirits to offer a sacrifice. But what we can see here is there's a posture of worship in that place of brokenness that the Lord loves. And he's drawn to it. He's drawn to it. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are a crushed spirit. Who are crushed in spirit, sorry. 
The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. I, the last week, I, I've had two or three um, times where I've either uh, come across or, you know, I'll just say come across people uh, from my past. And um, it's been really interesting because this week I can think of two exact examples, but there's others that I can think of, you know, in and around that, where, um, in fact, we were somewhere yesterday and, and I came across one of these people, uh, and, you know, lovely, lovely person. And, um, and as I walked away, I just felt the Lord say to me, they have a broken spirit. And it made sense for me because I thought, yeah, they're not, they, they wouldn't say they're walking with Jesus right now. And, you know, things got hard throughout their life. And I know that much, uh, but that's about all. Um, but it just made me aware that this is a relevant state for a lot of Christians, a lot of Christians, a lot of non-Christians as well, but particularly a lot of Christians actually carry a broken spirit. How can this be? Well, David did. Man after God's own heart had a broken heart. So no matter how close we've been, no matter how intimate we might have been with him, life throws us curveballs that we don't expect. And sometimes, repeatedly, 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 maybe people have let us down, situations. And what we do sometimes is we then say, well, the Lord's let me down. But it's actually humanity. It's the fallen state of man that has let us down because we put hope in that. We put hope in him or her or them. And it's a very human thing to do. We, do, we all do it. There's nothing wrong with it. But ultimately, man will let us down. Man will let us down. And so when that happens, and especially if it happens in a severe way, there can be a brokenness of our own spirit because our spirit was expecting things and hopeful and bonded to those people or that situation or whatever it might be. And so actually there's a brokenness. And that's what this verse is talking about. But the great promise of uh, Psalm 34, 18 is that the Lord will draw close. He will draw close. In that place, he will draw close. James Gold said to us about five or six years ago that, and, you know, I'm wary of prophetic words, especially when they say things like this. Um, but he said, you're going to be like the camel going through the eye of the needle. And, you know, he gave some explanations and things, and it's been pretty well right. Um <laughs> But, and I say that to say that when he gave it to me, I'm like, oh, yeah, we're through. <laughs> you know, at that time, I said, we're through. That's five years ago. We're through. Yes. Awesome. See, I'm always pulling, pulling the future into the now, especially if it's going to help me. But, but then, you know, we went through some stuff. We went through some stuff, and there's some crushing. And remember, the wine doesn't flow unless the grapes are crushed. And so there's crushing. That's a Duncan Smithism, by the way. But... That it's, it's a process whereby actually the goodness of God comes out of us. The goodness of God comes out of the brokenness. The victory of God comes out of the brokenness. The strength of God, because then when we connect our heart with His, we, we're, we're not relying on man anymore. We're not, we're not even inflating ourselves so that we're, we're relying on ourselves anymore. And we're not so fl flattered or enamored with the works of man anymore. 
because we know that that can all be broken and taken away in a blink of an eye. So what we have is a faith and a resolution in Jesus Christ and Christ alone that we never had before. So the brokenness is almost a necessary part of promotion. That's one thing I, you know, I wouldn't put a definite doctrine around that, but I would say that it's, it's a common denominator of any successful person. Anyone who's ever been used by God in greater realms is that crushing process produces sweet wine. Sweet wine. Maybe that's what you had this morning, Russ, was it? A bit, bit of that? <laughs> Diversion. When things are getting heavy, it's another technique. Diversion, okay? Not divergent, diversion. I think you have to be a millennial to get that, but, you know. Okay. Finally, a right spirit. A right spirit. I've got lots of verses here, so I'll just try and um, uh, paraphrase them a little bit. But... Um, Ezekiel 11, 9, Ezekiel 11, 19 says, And I will give them one heart, and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and the new has come. Ezekiel eighteen thirty one. Cast away, from your, fr- cast away from you all the transgressions that you've committed and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. That summarizes that, and these, this is the word of the Lord to the people of Israel, and there's other verses in there that I could bring about, but ultimately the heart of God is that we would carry His spirit in our spirit. He doesn't just sort of cancel our personality and cancel who we are and make us God robots. He actually wants to express himself through us. And he's given us all a unique personality. So obviously we're going to be different than the person next to us. And we're going to carry ourselves. We're going to say things differently. Don't ever compare yourself with any other human being. Because you weren't made to be like them. You have your own unique gifts and talents and desires and callings which looks completely different. Your list of ingredients is so different from the next person that if we try and, you know, pinch and pull, the, the, the cake doesn't come out right. It comes out a little bit warped, doesn't it? And we've all tried it before, try to be like someone else. and You know, we feel like we've got one arm because it's like, no, that, that's not me. But when we know who we are in Him and we have a right spirit toward Him and even toward ourselves... Some of us through the broken spirit process actually then become downcast and we carry a downcast spirit for the rest of our lives maybe because during that brokenness we never learn that he's actually drawing us and wooing us in and he actually wants to then replenish us and give us victory. He wants a Job 42 over our lives. He wants a restoration period of our lives. He wants victory and and maybe The brokenness has been so long that you think, I don't even read Job 42 anymore. I just read 1 to 41 because at least I can sympathize with Job. But there's a 42. There's a 42. And it's an amazing chapter because when you get through 41 chapters of misery, you need a little bit of that, don't you? 
But there's a Job 42 restoration for every single season of brokenness. I believe that. And it may look different than we would think it would, would go through. I, I remember when we were sort of looking at the stage of losing our business. And I'm thinking, wow, this is, this is did I even hear God in the first place? Why on earth did he give us this in the first place? Why would God give you phenomenal blessings just to take it away? Why would a good, loving God allow that to happen? I want you to ask someone wise after the service that question and see what answer you get from them. Because I have no idea. <laughs> Only to say, ask Ryan. I reckon he's, he's going to have a really, really good theological stance on that for you. But one thing I do know is that through that season and through the questioning, those words that I had up on my office wall, those prophetic words, those words of Scripture, I can still remember them today. They were incisioned. They were incisioned upon my spirit. And even, even when things look like they're collapsing, things are breaking, crumbling, not going to plan, to our plan that is, then we can actually give it all up. And even in that broken place, in that broken spirit, let's say, we can actually let the disappointment rule the rest of our lives. And that, that's what I saw even this week as I was just um, reminded of a couple of people who, who loved the Lord in their younger years. And, and, um, and I just sort of saw them and, and it was totally different because they're carrying a broken spirit. They're carrying a disappointment. And actually, you know, it's, it's normally disappointment in man because if our faith is in man, then it will be rocked. It will be shaken. We will be disappointed. But when we know the Father and we know his love for us and we know that he sent Jesus Christ into this world to save you and to save me from all of that crap and all of that stuff that goes on. How do you translate crap into Farsi, guys? Uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> But when, when all that stuff is going on, when all that stuff is going on, it's very, very, very easy to be let down by man. Our hope is not in man. It's not in man in the first place. It's in Jesus Christ. He's called the rock. He's called the rock because he's unshakable and unbreakable and immovable. And when our faith is in him, that's when we get pulled through that crushing and that breaking. And finally, we can find ourselves. See, most of our lives, we're not even ourselves. We're maybe who someone else wants us to be. We're maybe who the situations have, have made us and formed us and shaped us. But that's not who we are. That's not who we are. We're called to be a new creation in Christ. We're called to be overcomers. We're called to be ones who have abundant life in Jesus Christ. Not just abundant life in fancy cars and clothes and all that sort of, but abundant life in Jesus and people who have been disappointed by Christians, uh, and it does happen, and it's, it's definitely a, a, a prevalent thing all over the place. If we can direct people to Jesus rather than us, if we can say, get to know him, get to know your lover, get to know your father, get to know this kingdom family, this thing who will not let you down. And where even when you're in that place, he will stretch out and he will be the one who will reach out and pull you up in your brokenness. Then our eyes are on him, not on man. And therefore, that disappointment that we've had maybe all our lives, it gets broken off us because the victory of Christ becomes who we are. His victory becomes who we are. Not even our own victory, his victory. 
So we're relying on him. We're relying on his faithfulness and his goodness. And that's one of the things that I can see throughout our lives. He's just, he's used those seasons to go, well, you know, whether it lives or whether it dies, it doesn't really matter anyway. He's always the same. He's always the same. He never changes. And, you know, this is the best, uh, okay, I'll put in a little footnote here. This is the best argument against cessationalists. The Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? He did signs, wonders, and miracles in the Old Testament, right? Well, he created the world with signs, wonders, and miracles, didn't he? And then he did it in the New Testament. So why, did, why would he stop being like Jesus, like God? Of course he wouldn't. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so that's the God we believe in. That's the God we look to, even in the brokenness and the hurt. We look to him. And when we cling on to him, he will lift us out. And that's what I felt for a couple of people today, that you're still carrying a brokenness from disappointment. But it's not disappointment with God. It's disappointment with man. It's probably even disappointment with yourself, maybe family, relatives, bosses, I don't know, everyone. Uh, But disappointment unhealed becomes quite dangerous and it can very easily turn into strange fire so that our whole life becomes operating out of strange fire we think we're worshiping but we're not and and it's actually a posture that God I believe he wants to shine his light on today and bring healing to some so I want everyone just to stand And just close your eyes. And anyone here today who feels like you are actually carrying a bit of this broken spirit. Now, maybe you wouldn't term it like that. Maybe, you know, you wouldn't even, you know, phrase it like I have this morning. But you know the Holy Spirit wants to bring you into a new level of freedom that you're not currently in. Well, I really would love, love us to, to pray for that this morning. And so I'm going to give you just a minute. Just to, just to ask him if that's you this morning. And I really would love you just to remain in that. Ask him, ask him, ask him. If you're feeling that, just spend a minute just dwelling on him for a minute. So Holy Spirit, we just pray that you would release your presence in this place. Release your presence in this place. Lord, we pray for the healing touch of Jesus this morning. Not the healing touch of man, but the healing touch of Jesus Christ. That you would come and manifest your love and presence in this atmosphere right now. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. We ask that you would come. You're the healer. And so we ask that you would come, Lord Jesus, you, with your redemptive healing life. In Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to ask Zeph just to come and play the guitar for a moment. And I want to give an opportunity for anyone who, who you know that's you this morning. You, you need some, some healing and refreshing of your spirit. And Karen and I are just going to pray for you, release whatever we feel this morning as we just pray and release his love over you. Some of you, it's just a washing, it's a cleansing. Others, you've carried it for years and years, and it's time it ended. It's time you stopped carrying this thing. It's not yours. It's not, your, it's not who you are. It's, he's created you for so much more, so much more than that, and it's time to let go.
It's time to let go. And um, you just begin coming forward now. And I'm just going to pray in general. Zeph will start playing and, and just come forward. And Karen and I just want to pray with you. So, Lord, we ask this morning for your healing flow. We ask for healing of hearts, healing of any brokenness. Holy Spirit, we ask you to come. Father, we ask that you would shower us with your love this morning. Shower us with your covering and your love and your healing this morning. Lord, that you would let the healing eyes of the Father, healing eyes of Jesus, be just radiant upon us this morning. Radiant upon us this morning. Healing in Jesus' name. Healing in Jesus' name. Yeah, thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Lord, we just pray for fresh hope, fresh hope, fresh life, fresh victory in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for joining us on the Harvest Australia podcast. For more information and events in the life of Harvest Australia Church, please visit harvestaustralia.org. Thank you.